That's your prayer this morning. Let's take our Bibles and open to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to be uh, considering verses 44 through 50 uh, this morning. Under the uh, title of The Purpose of Christ First Coming, I want to share with you just a couple of thoughts before we read. As we think about uh, that name, that title, uh, The Coming of Christ or First Coming of Christ, when we, when we consider coming of Christ, we are speaking in light of one of two events or Advents, if you will. We understand that as we read the Gospels, Christ came, born of a virgin, the, the incarnate God. That is the first Advent. It would conclude with the death, burial, and resurrection and subsequent ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ back into heaven. That's the first coming. That is the first Advent. He's coming again. Amen. 
and we will experience, I would say in our lifetime, the rapture of the church. And there will be a time of tribulation. At the conclusion of that tribulation, the Lord will return in power and glory with ten thousands of His saints there to the battle of Armageddon and establish His kingdom. That's the second advent, the second coming. Today we want to focus on this first advent, this first coming, what we would typically begin to celebrate at Christmas. Uh, that's the first advent. And I want to consider it in light of these verses that we're going to read here in a moment, the purpose of that coming. And in this statement, this conclusion that we're about to read, this is the, the conclusion, the final statement publicly of Christ's ministry. And in this statement, there is a summary and, if you will, a purpose for His coming. I want to give you a little context before we go there. Uh, we are skipping over a lot. Uh, we left chapter 11 last week with a, a victorious resuscitation of Lazarus. When we roll into chapter 12, we're uh, on a Saturday evening dinner date. We're there at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There the day before, or the first day I should say, of the last week of Christ's life. We're entering that time. There at that meal, uh, Christ would be uh, uh, anointed for death. Not far removed from that meal, we would see that He's been marked for death by the leadership. And in fact, not only Him, but possibly Lazarus as well, because many believed because of the, 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 birth, or the uh, bringing back of Lazarus. We also see that in chapter 12, that event that we call the, the triumphal entry, where Christ would enter into Jerusalem in procession as a victorious king, uh, and the people would throw down the, the palm fronds, and they would quote messianic statements over him, those things we recognize as Palm Sunday. We see not long after that event that the Lord would foretell His death. and the, the people that would hear would question as to why the Messiah must die. They just couldn't comprehend how that would be. And then we come down around verse 41 or so and we learn that many of the chief rulers believed. Yeah, I want you to think about that for a moment. Many of the chief rulers believed but would not publicly declare because they were worried about men's opinions. Isn't that hard to comprehend? We know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were two of them. They would eventually identify themselves. On the heels of that declaration that many believed, but not many came forward, we have these verses, these final words, if you will, publicly of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we read? <clears throat> Beginning in John 12, verse 44, the Lord Jesus speaking, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. 
And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. I want to share with you four very simple statements this morning that I believe can be pulled out of this. And they define for us the purpose of the first advent of Christ. Would you pray and ask the Lord to provide you with illumination this morning? Clarity, an understanding that you've not held before, uh, an application that would affect the way you walk when you leave today? Isn't that why we're here? Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, quietly, patiently, expectantly. Father, we're asking for uh, clarity of, of speech and, Lord, of thought and of heart, the ability to hear and the ability to comprehend the desire to apply. Father, I pray that as we look into these truths that, Father, we would see simplicity. Father, that we would see just plainly. And Father, that we would walk obediently. Lord, I pray you would work through your blessed Holy Spirit to provide for us illumination, teaching, and guidance. Lord, I pray you do that for us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. These, uh, these four statements that I believe are um, summary, uh, if you will, of this passage, which I also consider to be somewhat of a summary of all that Christ has already spoke to them in the chapters leading up. He has equated himself with God the Father. He has explained that he is light. And in that, we would understand that he is truth and that he is life. It is a pretty a straightforward picture of what does eternity look like and where is judgment. And I think that we could say uh, these following four statements. I'm just going to read them off to you and then we'll go back and look at them independently. First, I want you to understand that Christ came as a revelation of God, period. Christ came as a revelation of God. This revelation was for our salvation and not our condemnation, period. The rejection of this revelation is our condemnation. And lastly, the result of this decision will be eternal. It's very straight, very simple, very clear. 
I want you to think first there. We noticed in verse 44, Jesus cried and said. When you see that, that phrase, that means that he lifted his voice. He, he elevated his voice so that all in the general vicinity could hear him. He spoke clearly and plainly and directed his speech towards all that would hear. This is simply put, he's preaching. And what does he say? He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. He that seeth me, seeth not me, but seeth him that sent me. Here we have this picture that Christ came as a revelation of God. First and foremost, he is a he is the, by the way, the definite article, the revelation of the Father. He is the revelation of the Father. Though it is true that no man has seen God, no one has looked upon God or can look upon God for that matter. Christ is the revelation of God. Listen to the, the writer of the book of Hebrews would state it this way, and I quote, uh, He is, Christ is, the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. He is the visible part of God. He is what God intended for you and I to see of God. Who God is is in Christ. Christ is who God is. It is the, the visible part of who God is. Christ is the revelation of God. It is so simple that if you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. And, and when we speak of seeing the Father, let's, let's purify that. Let's refine that a little bit. Because when we're talking about seeing the Father, we're not, we're not talking about personal appearance. We're not concerning ourselves with, with His jawline or His skin color or His eye color or His hair or His clothing. We are talking about the, the character, the, the moral composition of who God is. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. When we see Christ, we see the character of God. We could, we could just get caught in a, a redundant world of mirrored words. Christ is God and, and God is Christ. And as God did, so Christ did. And as Christ did, so God would do. It's that picture. Christ is God. You and I could, we could sit around and think, I wonder how God would respond to this scenario. And we can go to the scriptures and read precisely how God would respond to that scenario because Christ is God. And we can see that, that picture of Christ. Do you know that throughout eternity past, men have sought to quote-unquote, know God. They, they wanted to understand God, to see God, to comprehend God, and we are not capable. We're not able. Even a Moses, someone who is of such great report in the Scriptures, would say to God, show me uh, your glory, and God would say no. Uh, stick him in the cleft of the rock and cover him with his glory until he could pass and only then see the hinder parts, the, the, the image, the, the shadow of God because God is unknowable and unseeable, but Christ is the revelation of God. 
the, the great awakener, uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, is quoted as saying, show me a man that can understand God and I'll show you a worm that can understand man. It just isn't possible. God, is His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. He is beyond our understanding. So what did God do? God sent Christ in the form of man. We are given in Christ a translation of God that we can see, that we can understand, that we can emulate. He is the Father. And when you have seen Him, you've seen the Father. Christ is the revelation of God. We don't have to wonder. He's not a mystery. And next, we would, we would recognize that not only is He the revelation of God, He is also the, definite article again, the revelation of light. Christ is light. He is the revelation of light. I want to make a statement to you here. I hope that you grab the, the depth of it, the gravity of it. All that this world and its system has to offer is darkness. But Christ is light. Someone might say, uh, prove that to me. Well, go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. And you can see this world in its natural state. Void, without form, covered in darkness. God brought light, and Christ is the revelation of that light. He, with Him, comes light. He goes on to say that whoever believes, that is, places trust in, places faith in, rests in Christ as the Son of God, and the propitiation or satisfaction of God's wrath, will receive, has received, immediately receives light. Christ is light. Listen to this quote from MacDonald. States that apart from Christ, men are in deepest darkness. They do not have a right understanding of life, death, or eternity. But those who come to Christ in faith no longer grope about for the truth because they have found the truth in Him. He is light. It, it prompts me to pose uh, this question to you this morning. Do you remember the darkness? It's very important that you answer that question with yourself. Do you remember darkness? I'm not asking you if you remember immaturity. I'm not asking you if you remember childhood foolishness. I'm asking you, do you remember the darkness? Because I want to give you a challenge right here, and I'm doing so in all the sincerity of my heart. If you don't, do not remember the darkness, can I propose to you that you're still in it? I'm not asking you, do you remember vacation Bible school when you were seven and you said the sinner's prayer. I'm not asking you if you remember some emotional moment in your life where, where out of emotional distress 
you reached for something that somebody handed you. I'm asking you to remember a time in your life when all was dark and light came in. Because there should be a very definite delineation. I'm not suggesting, by the way, as the old stomp and cuss, spit and snort IFB pastor, that you ought to remember the date, the time, the pew, the, the hymn, the shoes you had on. I'm asking you, do you remember the darkness? Because if you were born again, you are, you are possessing of light. And there was a time when you had none. There was a time when eternity did not make sense to you. Life and death did not make sense to you. They weren't realistic to you. There was darkness. Your understanding was darkened. But if you have been born again, you are in light. To know Christ is to know light. And once you know light, you can never forget the darkness. Do you know what I think is... Possibly the most desperate commentary on the church. And I'm not talking about Houston Baptist Church. I'm not even talking about the, the America Church. I'm talking about the, the church. Is that there are a number of people in the church that can remember the darkness because there was a time when light come in and they have taken that light and placed it in a compartment somewhere and sealed it off and they're walking daily in the dark. They're not walking in the light of God. They're not walking in the light of the Word. They're not walking in the light of Christ. They're not walking in the light of belief. We know this from simple observation. There, there's been a soul security that has arrived, but they've locked it away. And they're not walking in the light. I, I wonder this morning, do you, do you walk in the light? I wonder, could you honestly with open face, say, yes, I walk in the light. Notice, notice uh, next there in verse 47. So we understand that Christ came as a revelation of God. In verse 47, it says, And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. You know, uh, this statement is, is pretty redundant in John's gospel, I would say at least in the first 12 chapters, because we've been together here for about 30 weeks, and we've said it a number of times ourselves. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. The, the, the understanding of that is, is this, the revelation, that revelation of Christ as God, that revelation was for our salvation, not for our condemnation. 
Christ, God did not send Christ as the express image of God, as the revelation of God, as the revelation of light in order to condemn. He sent him in order to save, believing that when you saw the light, you would go to it. He is not condemnation. He is salvation. We would look at that in two parts. Not for judgment, but for justification. And so we would think about that not for judgment aspect of Him not coming for condemnation. So He's not for judgment. I want you to think about the Jews. This is who He's speaking to here, by the way. He's speaking to (laughs) the religious... I'll get it. Mine's right here. I'm sorry, guys. The sinus stuff has already started for me. Uh, He's speaking to... A religious group. This is the same group that he's been speaking to the whole time. And so I want you to think about the Jews. What had they been looking for? We, we know this. We hear it all the time. I want you to put it into reality. They were looking for the Messiah. He was the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. You would think one plus one equals two. But it doesn't. They were looking for a Messiah, but they were looking for a Messiah that would be a sovereign, a king, a battle-hardened warrior who would win military campaigns, a warrior who would crush all of the opposition and all of the oppression with an iron hand and with a bloody sword. That's what they were looking for. You say, well, I've heard that all my life. Well, bear with me for a moment. Christ indeed was the Messiah. He was that Messiah. He is a sovereign. He is a king. He is a mighty warrior. He can he will win the the greatest war in in all of ever mankind. He will win it simply with the words of his mouth. He is the greatest warrior of all time. He is the sovereign. He is a king, but he came to save them from themselves. They wanted him to come save them from their oppressors, to come and save them from their captors, to come and save them from the bad folks. And Christ said, I didn't come to condemn them or you. I came to save you. From who? From yourself. He came to save them from their selves. He didn't come to condemn their enemies. He didn't come to condemn their oppressors. He came to save them, but they could not see their own needs. Can I tell you, that sounds ancient. It sounds Jewish. <laughs> Silly, uncivilized Jews looking for a Messiah. Can I tell you that most folks today are still looking for somebody to come and condemn their oppressor? They're still looking for somebody to come and condemn that one who is, who is against them. They're still looking for somebody to come and level the playing field to, to, to win the battle. They're still looking for somebody to come and free them from all of these outside things. And Christ is still saying, I did not come to condemn all of that. I came to save you. And we would say, from who, Lord? And he would say, from yourself. Your sins and your wicked attitudes are condemning you to eternal condemnation. 
And he said, I've come to save you from that. I've come to give you clarity. This is what most people believe. They're looking for equality and fairness. And this is what, if you just talk, just talk to people, they believe in some sort of karma. They think the government needs to level the playing field. And this is how they view God. If they view him at all, they view him as a benevolent force which will enrich and enable those who adhere to his rules. So they'll say, hey, God says I need to read the Bible, so I'm going to read the Bible every day so he'll bless me. Well, God says I need to go to church, so I'm going to go to church so he'll bless me. God says I need to be baptized, so I'm going to be baptized so he'll bless me. God says I need to take communion, so I'm going to take communion so he'll bless me. And they're doing all of these things as an adherence to rules, waiting on this benevolent father to make the government and society treat them better. And what they should be doing is looking at him the way Isaiah did and realizing that Uzziah is dead and there's nothing in the world that can help me and the only thing that is tried and true and the only thing that is still in place is God and I see him high and lifted up. It is that idea, not for judgment, but for salvation. He's wanting to bring eternal light into your darkness. He's wanting to give you the vision so that you can see so clearly that you realize all of these other things that I'm pursuing are for nothing. We are, we are faced with an eternity either in the presence of God or in outer darkness forever. And on most of our minds are things that are completely temporal. Oh, I have to have a good retirement account. So financial future. Watch this. Eternity. Heavy. It doesn't matter. Job security. Eternity. It's heavy. Notoriety, fame, accomplishment. Eternity. We, we, our eyes are focused on all of these temporal matters. And Christ is saying... I came to save you from that. I came to turn the light on so you could see all of this. He is a revelation of the light. He came for our salvation, not our condemnation, not for judgment, but for justification. So as long as you and I are carrying the responsibility for our sins, as long as you and I are attempting to perform for our salvation, we're in condemnation. That's how that looks. As long as, as, long as we are uh, that way, we are at odds with God. Christ came to pay our sin debt. He came to fulfill the law on our behalf and pay the penalty of transgressions in our place. He's seeking to save you rather than condemn your enemy. But we are still paying our own way. And as long as we are 
lost, we cannot rightly identify our own needs. And so we say, well, it's about society. Well, it's about the culture. Well, it's about, it's about Russia. It's about Ukraine. It's about COVID. It's about Florida. It's about California. It's not about any of that. It's about you and your sins and your relationship with Christ, the one who came to pay them. Christ came as a revelation of God. He came, uh, that revelation was for our salvation, not our condemnation. He came not for judgment, but the rejection of the revelation is our condemnation. That's what he says in verses 48 and 49. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken to myself, but of the Father. You and I might sometimes entertain or be concerned with the thought, the, the thought of judgment. What is that going to look like? How, what kind of, what is it, how is it going to feel? What, what's the emotions of that going to be? And, and you know these truths, but I, I want to share them with you briefly. Uh, if, if you are a possessor of light, you are born again. Uh, the judgment that you're going to stand before, everybody knows this, but I'm just going to say it for those that might have forgotten it. The judgment you're going to be there for is the judgment seat of Christ. It's a bema seat. It's a rewarding place. Nobody is going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and hear, depart from me, thou worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Nobody's going to hear that there. Everybody that stands at the judgment seat of Christ is going to hear some form of commendation. There's going to be some tears. There's going to be some losses. But there's going to be some form of commendation. It's the judgment seat. It's those that don't accept Christ and therefore they are washed into eternity without having dealt with uh, that sin debt they will stand before the great white throne of judgment. That is a condemning place. Everyone who stands in that judgment will hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. They will be judged. Those persons will be judged by the word of God. The word that Christ has spoken that will be the word of judgment. So it's the rejection of revelation that is our condemnation. The, the scripture talks about, uh, mentions the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rejection of His revelation. When, when we reject Him, or when they reject Him, it is rejection of of the word. The, the, the condemnation is not so much that he came, it is that he came and was rejected. The condemnation is that he presented himself as the way, the truth, and the life, and yet he was rejected. In rejecting him, the word of God is rejected. It is this very same today. 
We're on the other side of Calvary. But it's the same thing. It is in rejecting the, the written, revealed Word of God, we're rejecting Christ. We have the, the Word of God that is, that is canonized and given for our, in, in, for our instruction and it is inerrant and it is eternal. And today we have those that would question its validity and its veracity. And let me tell you something, many of them are in the church. They're in the church. Well, you know. Not sure about the Bible, but it's duplicitous and hypocritical. Why are you here if you're not sure about the Bible? It is we have that, that question of, of its its uh, validity. Is it is it uh, real? Is it is it the true word of God? Is it the real thing? And then the, the question of its of its veracity, the truth, is challenged for its originality and its purity as the word of God. Well, you know, uh, you, you, a lot of men touch that thing. And you know, what about the, the apocryphal books? And what about the, the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of this and the gospel of that? There's no question this right here. That's the canonized, inerrant, infallible, eternal Word of God. And when you reject this, any part of it, you're rejecting Christ. Because He is the Word. We have that problem today. We also have the problem that it's violated by many modern interpreters uh, in order to make it fit in with some sect or group. That is as well rejecting Christ. And in that day, that judgment day, those who rejected Christ and His Word will be judged by the Word they rejected. That's the condemnation. That means if you can hear me today, and you view the Bible under any light other than inerrant, infallible, and eternal, you're in great danger. And I would deal with that before I leave today. Not only when we reject Him are we rejecting the Word. When we reject Him, we're rejecting the Father. He, he says there, uh, if, if you uh, reject me, you're rejecting the One that sent me. For I've not spoken of myself, but I've spoken what He sent me to speak. Uh, let me tell you how that looks, because somebody might not understand it. It is those people who would say, I believe in God but I'm not sure about this Jesus person. Well, you don't believe in God. You believe in a little G-O-D. You believe in a Baal. You believe in something, but you don't believe in God, or you would have no question about the Lord Jesus Christ. We have that picture. I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Jesus. Other religions would seek to define God apart from the Lord Jesus. Some religions would add to Christ's work by supposing to identify some other man or woman or people or works or acts that, that must be. All of those are representing rejecting Christ. And if you reject Christ, you've rejected the Father. Because he and the Father are one. If you reject Christ as the Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life exclusively, you'll be judged by the Word. 
and it will not be a good judgment, condemned in the sight, sight of God. So we have this picture. Christ came as a revelation of God and a revelation of light. And that revelation was meant for our salvation, not our condemnation. And the rejection of that revelation is condemnation. And this is the last statement. The result of that decision is eternal. The result of that decision is eternal. There's not going to be some age in the future where you can say, well, I was wrong in the previous life. It is a today decision with forever implications. If we, it's very simple. He says in verse 50, I know that his commandment is life everlasting. There's a positive and a negative implication of that statement. That means in accepting, we receive eternal life. In rejecting, we receive eternal condemnation. So it's not about all of these other world problems. It's not about the denomination or the church sign or the membership or the baptism or the choir or the song selection. It's not about any of that. It is that the Lord Jesus Christ came to reveal God to you. And God is revealed in Christ in the Word. And that revelation was meant to be your salvation, not your condemnation. And if you reject that revelation, that rejection is your condemnation. And these decisions have eternal impact. Would you stand with me this morning? Which one would be true of you today? Is there the accept or the reject? And if it is the reject, would you repent of that rejection? Come today for salvation. Maybe you say, well, Man, I can't do that. People think I am saved. It doesn't matter what people think. Well, I, I can't do that. My, my mama thinks I am saved. Well, it doesn't matter what your mama thinks. She'll be happy you're saved today just like she was last time you said you were. Well, I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I get kind of embarrassed in front of people. They, they're not going to be judging you. You might lead another one to make a move. Maybe today... Your decision is to get in the light. Maybe you're a possessor of the light, but you're not walking in the light. Can I tell you something? That's a commitment. I believe it begins with confession, which is repentance. And then a prayer. Maybe that's your need to come today. Possibly you're here today and, and you just need to come and pray that God would give you a burden for the community that you would stop seeking a Messiah that's going to judge your oppressors and you would start preaching a Messiah that can save your oppressors. Would you come today? Would you come and pray? The altar's open. Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. I hear
the Savior save thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all cause Jesus paid it all all to him I owe my sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow Brother Derek Page, would you close us in prayer, sir? <coughs>